Why, hello everyone, and welcome back to Coffee Connections. My name is Seth Weiner, and I am your rock chenier. Uh Still in sunny South Florida, uh, and I know everyone's like, it's snowing here, it's going to drop to the 20s in Atlanta. It's 76 and beautiful, and my hair's not wet, but I will go into the pool after this episode. Uh, just to let remind everyone, um, Coffee Connections is Insights with Innovators. We're talking to Atlanta nonprofits, uh, their executive directors, their CEOs, people in the Atlanta community that are true innovators. And today we have a one that is just that. Now, before I even go into our guest today, what's interesting about our guest today is the connections to so many other guests that we've had from Second Helping Zelana, the Blue Dove Foundation, Next Gen, and more. And I'm sure we're going to discover even more. So uh, let me go ahead and get you all set up here with Lily Brent. She's the Executive Director of Repair the World Atlanta. Uh, now, Lily is a writer and social worker whose curiosity and commitment to service catalyzed a career in international development spanning six countries over the last eight years. Yes, six countries over the last eight years. She's, uh, she is the founding director for Repair the World Atlanta. She's thrilled to join other young Jews in critical reflection, study, volunteering with local partners, and strengthening alliances among diverse communities. She's got a very... Uh, vast professional career in life. Uh, she's traveled the world and more and done things everywhere she's gone. Uh, and apparently uh, she has some sort of a chickpea recipe that um, is very, very famous. So let's find out about that and more. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Lily. And uh, there she is. Hi, Lily. Oop, did I get you unmuted? I did this again. I do this all the time. I'm so sorry. You are unmuted. Okay, <laughs> Hi, it's just part of our culture now. Mute, unmute. But thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be with you. Yes. Well, it's great to have you here. On a, and I, I, I joked on the intro, um, on the uh, description, I, I said everyone should have a cup of free trade coffee because I feel like that's really appropriate for what you do with Repair the World. Yes. Uh, but before, <laughs> before we even get into it, do you drink coffee? And if so, do you have a coffee mug? Oh, um, I do drink coffee and I do. I have this coffee mug. It's not very exciting. Um, but I have a, a few that I rotate through. Um, one of the other more exciting ones is from Chocolato ATL. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Down in Decatur. I've been there several times. I think there's more than one location, though. I think they're at Pond City Market, too. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Wonderful. So you drink coffee, then? I do. Mm-hmm. You like your coffee dark? You like it medium? Which, uh, what roast do you go with? Uh, probably medium and with some uh, milk or cream or soy, something in there. Yeah. Okay. So uh, now you said milk or cream or soy. Now there's a big difference of half and half in soy milk. What do you prefer? That's true. Well, um, my partner has converted me to uh, we we have we have soy soy products in our home, so that's what I mostly drink now. But every once in a while, I get some cream, and that's pretty good. Now, I've been doing almond milk for quite some time, but mm. I've kind of started like at Dunkin' Donuts and places like that getting the oat milk because I find it's yes. like creamier, especially for like a for like a latte or something. I was gonna say that barista oat milk is kind of the the best um, dairy substitute that I found. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to coffee, are you a drip or a uh, French press kind of gal? We do the French press here. Mm-hmm. I am with you. It's the way to go. I mean, it's also it's a nice ritual, right? Like the drip is the drip, and I get it. But like the 
the, the heating of the water and then the pressing it down and letting it sit and like all of that. It's just a, it's a nice process. It is. Yeah. A few, you know, a few quiet minutes in the morning. So. Before yeah. you get all jittery. So speaking of jittery, let's tell everyone about Tikkun Olam. Well, that's one way to say it, but tell everyone about repairing, repair the world, Atlanta and repair the world in general. Yes. Um, so Repair the World's mission is to mobilize Jews and their communities to take action to pursue a just world, igniting a lifelong commitment to service. And we believe that service in support of social change is vital to a flourishing Jewish community and an inspired Jewish life. Uh, so what that means is that we are constantly uh, mobilizing our community to volunteer and to learn about the issues that affect um, all Atlantans, particularly when it comes to poverty and inequity in our community. Um, and we have three main programs. Um, we have a full-time fellowship for young adults 21 to 26, where they work to be a bridge between the Jewish community and our nonprofit partners. So they do 20 hours of direct service every week um, with two nonprofit partners in um, housing and homelessness, in education, or in food justice. Um, and then they spend their other 20 hours doing educational and social events to pull in other people to volunteer alongside them. Um, this year under COVID, we actually started a new program called Serve the Moment. And that is a part-time opportunity for young people 18 to 29. Um, we found that a lot of people at the beginning of the pandemic were really dislocated and looking for something meaningful to do either when they found themselves unexpectedly home from college, um, when they were furloughed, when they were laid off. And so we created this opportunity to do 10 hours a week of service with us and two hours of Jewish learning. Um, and they're able to earn a stipend and get some great experience with a nonprofit partner through that. Yes, we are currently recruiting for our spring cohort. We're looking for 20 super committed volunteers um, who want to serve with us from March 15th to May 21st. Um, so definitely hoping folks will um, hear this and apply. The deadline is February 15th. So we've got our full-time option, we got our part-time option, and then we have service programs every single week. You can come out and volunteer with us. Um, we cook for local shelters. We volunteer at um, urban farms and community gardens. Um, we have all kinds of different programs that we do. And we just came off of our major uh, volunteer weekend of the year. Um, that is a partnership with many, many other wonderful partners across Atlanta. Um, there's a strong tradition all over the country, but especially in Atlanta, of serving on Martin Luther King Day. And we had over 1,200 uh, people oh, wow. come out and serve, even under COVID. So hope we get to talk a little bit more about that um, in our innovation question. We did some some new things this year, um, but that's that's about us. My gosh, there's so much to unpack with that. <laughs> you just laid out a conversation that could last two hours. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we keep pretty busy over here. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing your time here. Well, let's start by Repair the World. Now, Atlanta is a chapter of this organization? Yeah. So we are a national nonprofit, and we are in 14 cities across the country. Um, and I was brought on to start the Atlanta chapter in 2018. So we just uh, hit two and a half years. So we're still pretty new in the community here. That is very new, uh, but it's very successful. So uh, surprised, though, that Atlanta is new. It seems like something like this would have been around uh, for quite some time. 
It does, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it was a great fit. And I think that's why we've been so successful is we've just been really welcomed into the ecosystem here, both in the Jewish world, but also with all of our um, our partner nonprofits who I think really see the value of um, what we bring to the table, which is, you know, capacity building support in the form of young professionals, sometimes doing 10 hours a week, sometimes um, short term, long term, and then bringing volunteers as well. Now, with the young professionals, is there is there an age where when do you consider not a young professional anymore? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. When you read my bio and you were like, Lily does this with other young Jews. I was like, oh, do I still get to say that I'm young? Um yeah, it's an interesting category. I think for us, we're looking at folks, um, I would say like post-college to early family is our main target demographic. Um, so people who have maybe not found a, um, a community or a organizational home in the same way that folks tend to do um, a little bit later in life. So we're, we're pretty flexible in general, but there are some age ranges for some of our programs. And I will say too, that some of our absolute best volunteers are in their seventies. So we are open to everybody. Um, you don't have to be Jewish to volunteer with us. Um, we are, we are rooted in Jewish values, but um, welcome, welcome everybody. And now all the felons that are watching that need to do community service, they can do this here as well, right? You know, it's funny that you say that. I um, I started my career, I think you mentioned my, my international development background. My very first uh, job was in criminal justice reform. So I'm actually a huge proponent of second chances for folks and um, working. I believe everybody can contribute to their community and none of us, as Brian Stevenson says, are the worst thing we've ever done. So yeah, whoever you are, we, we've got a place for you. Now, what about the... And that's great, by the way. I, I love that. Uh, but... I'm thinking now, like, you have all these organizations you partner with. How does an organization get to partner with you? Yeah, good question. Um, I think it depends what level of, of commitment or partnership they're looking for. I think when we originally set things up in Atlanta, that was a really fun year for me to just learn the Atlanta landscape. I think I met with over 300 people and um, me and my fellow at the time probably volunteered with uh, over 45 different organizations. And I think for the fellowship, we were looking for grassroots organizations that were really experts on the ground when it came to communities most affected by poverty and inequity. Um, we know that's not what we bring to the table. So we're looking for partners who um, are leaders and expert experts in that area and where we can follow their agenda by bringing resources, you know, human capital to the table. Um, and so it was, you know, what difference would a fellow make at 10 hours a week? And at most of the fellowship organizations we work with, they have between like one and three paid staff members. So having oh, wow. somebody, <laughs> yeah, having somebody 10 hours a week makes a huge difference. Um, yes, and then I would say, like outside of that, anybody who is aligned with our mission, like we'd love to do a volunteer program with you. We're open to lots and lots of partnerships, um, but the fellowship placements are a little more specialized. So would you say like fellowship placements are more internships almost because they're doing more, they're not sorting the clothing, they're doing the social media marketing and this sort of stuff? Yeah, I think it's a mix. I think our ideal placement, they do some direct service kind of um, client or participant facing work. Um, 
so that they can get to know the community and be immersed in the community. But we also want them to be able to add value. So yes, they do social media, they do communications, they do grant writing, they do, um, you know, whatever the organization needs. And and that's been super interesting under COVID. I know, um, for example, we work with Rebecca's Tent, which is a women's shelter. And um, in is, the is past- Is that out of- um, um, share, share with Israel, the synagogue. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And uh, before the pandemic, our fellow was really focused on um, managing volunteers for them. That's always a big part of their role is volunteer management, but looking at the enrichment programs that the women do and the Sunday fun days. And under COVID, the organization has um, taken on a huge role in providing rental assistance to the community. So our fellow just pivoted right along with them and said, okay, you need someone to screen rental applications and to go to um, housing complexes and let landlords and tenants know that this rental assistance is available. So a lot of what they do is being flexible and adaptive and filling in wherever needed. And I can also see that in time that they create um, a relationship with the organization that's long lasting, that they might go to college or, or they're out of college and they, they're there and, uh, and end up creating a job for themselves. Yeah, nationally, you know, in our cities that have been around a little longer, we definitely see a pipeline where fellows get hired by their partners because, mm -hmm. you know, that that uh, investment that the organizations make in training them and um, seeing how they are able to jump in and support, that's not somebody that you want to lose. Um, so mm -hmm. there's definitely a strong relationship, I would say, between our fellowship and being employed by our partners, by other Jewish nonprofits as well. And with two years of history in Atlanta, this question may be hard to answer from Atlanta's perspective, but on a greater, you know, repair the world perspective. Um, with COVID, are you seeing now more volunteerism because people have more time? Or I'm, I'm curious how the, how the landscape is, because to me, there's lots of questions that come with that. I mean, you can't, you can't have mass gatherings of people sorting food and clothes, but it still needs to be done. Totally. Yeah, it's been interesting. And I think the answer has been different as we move through these different stages of the pandemic. I think um, one of the things that I am most proud of is um, our partnerships with Concrete Jungle and with SWIAC, which is the Southwest Ecumenical Emergency Assistance Center, um, which is... Say that a, three times fast. Yeah, right. I've gotten very good at saying that. And I learned uh -huh. what ec ecumenical means. What um, does that mean? <laughs> it's interdenominational Christian. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the SWIAC was founded by a consortium of churches together who saw a need for um, a food pantry in the West End. And they have been around over 20 years and are a client choice pantry, meaning that you get to go in and shop and choose what you want. Oh, um, that's interesting. Yeah. That's got to be a great that that's got to be a um, a great transition for people that especially right now when people like never had to go to food pantry bank ever right and now they need food and to be able to have the luxury of shopping if you will um that has to be really good for their mental being yeah client choice is a good model and SWIAC, like so many other pantries had to adapt very quickly during the pandemic they went through as we all did um that where grocery store shelves were bare and a lot of our pantries rely on grocery store excess donations. And oh, so yeah. there were a couple weeks there where there was no grocery store excess. Um, and then um, Concrete Jungle, which is a, a gleaning and growing organization that brings fresh produce to pantries, they were really out in front at understanding the need to transform the pantry model under COVID because 
it's not safe to have 200 people lining up to get food at the same time. And a lot of folks um, who had underlying conditions or health risks or who uh, were, you know, in their 60s, 70s and older, um, suddenly it really wasn't safe for them to go out to the pantry. So what the three of us did together, really taking the lead from Concrete Jungle, was create a grocery delivery program. Um, and they're now working with a, a, a number of partner pantries across the city, including um, ICM and the JFNCS Kosher Food Pantry and SWIAC um, to get volunteers who come every week and deliver the groceries from the pantry to um, the folks who would have normally been lining up or coming through, but who are really vulnerable to COVID. Um, and we found at the beginning of the crisis that even that wasn't enough. And so started um, a independent program of sourcing and sorting food, again, with donated space, with volunteers, um, packing and sorting and delivering food. And they, um, at the peak of the program, were serving 400 people a week and had over 140 volunteers every week making that happen. And when I say 400 people, I mean actually 400 families. So oh, yeah. a lot, a lot of people. So in that way, it was just amazing to see both the organizations and the volunteers rise to the occasion. I think people were so um, intensively aware at that time that the need had exploded, the risk had, had, you know, I don't even know what the word is, like the risks were, were different from anything we'd ever encountered. And there was just a need to step up. And even with all of our existing systems doing everything in their power, it wasn't enough to meet this need um, that was great before the pandemic and that was only um, exacerbated by it. So I think in that early phase, I saw people coming out of the woodwork to pitch in, which was amazing. And then um, I think as time has gone on, we've also, as a field, figured out how to adapt to volunteering a bit. Mm -hmm. So I think the Martin Luther King weekend was a great example where we set a goal for ourselves of having 600 volunteers, 613, um, and we knew that we wouldn't be able to do things in person at the scale that we used to. And so we, we partnered with some great organizations like Creating Connected Communities and The Packaged Good um, to do um, supply drives and sorting and packing at home um, so that people could sort of asynchronously gather these supplies, pack them up, um, aggregate them as a way of volunteering without going out and about in person. Um, we did what we call our Zoom to table program, which is where we <laughs> have, <laughs> have a group of folks um, each cook a portion of a meal for a shelter. So 10 to 12 people can cover a shelter like Covenant House that has 60 residents at any given time. So we tried to be really innovative about giving people from home options. Mm -hmm. um, and we had over 1,200 people participate. So I think the appetite is there. And I think people have a lot of questions about safety. And as long as we are able to um, provide opportunities that meet those needs, either through social distancing and outdoor service. So we did tree planting with Trees Atlanta. We did a farm day at Concrete Jungle's Doghead Farm. We were at the Brownsmill Food Forest, which is the city's um, first forest devoted to growing produce that will eventually be shared with the, the community. Um, so we had all these outdoor projects and then we're able to think about what can people do from their own homes as well. Yeah, that's fascinating. I haven't heard of any of that yet of uh, people cooking, uh, you know, the the buffet line being 
built at so many different homes. I really like that concept because there's a, like people think shelters and they're like hundreds of people, but no, there's so many shelters that are um, small, uh, you know, under a hundred capacity. So that does make a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, so we work with Covenant House. Um, we work with Nicholas House, which yeah. is a small family shelter, and then Rebecca's Tent, um, and our house as well. So they're mm-hmm. all. Um, yeah, like in that under 100 range, and they all rec- rely exclusively on volunteers to get their meals. And I imagine that, like Nicholas House, I, I toured there before, and I can just imagine the uh, uh, how busy they're going to get once evictions really start taking place and things like that. You know, I mean, we're we're kind of at the the edge of the that storm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I hope. I mean, there there are definitely times when we've we've got to look to government for for large scale policy and structural solutions. And I think if we start to see evictions, we're really going to be in trouble. I think our infrastructure is not poised to respond to that. And you know, prevention. Mm-hmm. What do they say? What's that? An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. I think that's never been more true. So I really hope to uh, see something that that prevents that. Well. Uh... Our listeners out there, if you uh, work with government, you heard it here. Make <laughs> a difference. Uh, wow. So, I mean, so this, like I said, there's so much unpacked. Um, so, where did you get all these volunteers, though? Like uh, you said, you, you target students. Are you going to the youth groups? You're going to Hillel's. I mean, specifically, you're ta- you're targeting Jewish youth. So, where do you find Jewish youth that are unaffiliated? That's the question I want to ask. Where do you find Jewish youth that's unaffiliated? Yeah, that's that unicorn question. Everybody wants to know. Um, <laughs> yeah, we we work with um, we do work with students, especially through our Serve the Moment program. But in general, I would say um, our target audience is young adults um, who tend to be sort of post student phase or grad students um, into like early early family life, um, and. I think a lot of our model relies on sort of basic community organizing where it's relational. And so that's a big part of what the fellows do. In pre-COVID days, they would um, go to lots of different community events, Jewish community events, but also social justice events or events that had to do with the neighborhood that they are living in or just what they're interested in. So um, a hiking club or whatever it is. And as they meet folks, um, if, you know, in talking about what they do, people are interested. I find most people are really intrigued by like, oh, I'd love to get more involved. I've always wanted Mm -hmm. to volunteer. I'm not sure how. Um, So part of our model is like, hey, our fellow will take you out for coffee one-on-one, talk to you about like, what are you passionate about? What do you Mm want to do? And hey, do you want to show up at our farm crew? Um, with a couple of friends and, you know, come discover an amazing urban farmer garden, dig in the dirt or if that's not- find a chickpea recipe. Yeah. If that's not your thing, I was going to say cooking, lots of people are into that. And the idea that you can cook at home and um, also benefit some folks who are mm-hmm. really in need of uh, a hot, nutritious meal. So I think that's a big part of our work and our fellows work is helping people plug in. And, you know, word of mouth travels. Our partners yeah. are a huge recruitment for us. We do a lot with One Table and Moisha House mm-hmm. and NextGen. Um, no, it's just the whole time you're talking, I was thinking like I could see how you could have a fellow at a NextGen event and then f- basically finding volunteers or those interested and, and helping them find other areas they might be interested in, in doing community service. So that's really wonderful. But it costs money to 
to do this, this work. It's a lot of people you got to communicate with, all the partner relationships you got to keep with. So, I mean, there's there's costs to supplies to be able to give people the, the tools and resources they need to be able to do the volunteering. Where do you get your money? <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate you mentioning that because I think it's something people don't realize. They're like, well, I'm volunteering. I'm providing my services for free. So why is there a cost associated with this? And, and um, I think on the side of managing volunteers, there is an investment there that's made. And I think also in putting together programming. So part of our philosophy is that, yes, we want people to um, sort and pack food, but we also want to lead them to the question of why in the wealthiest country in the world in 2021, are we um, having to hand out food to folks? Are there bigger structural solutions that we could advocate for? And what do our Jewish values and teachings say about guiding us into um, more sustainable solutions? So we put a lot of thought into um, what we call contextual learning, which is kind of the framing um, educational pieces of the volunteer service. And we believe that that really enhances the experience and, and makes the contribution e even deeper. So yeah, putting all of that together takes resources. Um, and we are, are very lucky that we have um, a growing, I would say, base of support in mm -hmm. Atlanta, um, but something that as a new organization, we're definitely still working on. So our funding uh, comes from a combination of individual support at various levels and then um, family foundations are major supporters. Um, and we've also been very lucky to um, get an innovation grant. Um, from the Jewish Federation of Greater Atlanta. So that's been um, a good source of a kind of startup fuel for uh -huh. us as well. When did you get the innovation grant? So we got the first grant. This is our second year with the grant. Um, okay. Mm -hmm. Two years that's, ago. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah, they're, they've been so supportive to so many organizations that have been on the show. Um, but uh, do you do anything for fundraising? Um, do any events yet or anything like that uh, in, in Atlanta? I mean, I imagine repair elsewhere has but specifically Atlanta yeah I mean we do two campaigns a year um, usually around our end of fiscal year sort of that uh, sorry the end of the calendar year that sort of mm -hmm. giving Tuesday to January ish and then our program year runs August to July so during that time we're often asking folks to contribute to our work um, and then a lot of grant writing. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I imagine that that's a big piece. And the fact that you work with so many other organizations, are you um, co-granting? Are you doing stuff where like there's an organization that has a project you and you, where you you know collaborate to get the money for that project? Yeah, I think we're starting to move more into that, and I think that's an exciting role for us in the community as well. You know, when you were saying where do you, where do we get our volunteers, I was thinking as I was setting up repair, I said to a lot of people. If you're trying to set up a service program, I want to be your first call. Like, I want to be able to provide that infrastructure to other organizations in the community who are like, hey, I want to do a service day with my staff. Or, you know, I have Hebrew school students and we'd like them to learn about Tikkun Olam through experience and do four mm -hmm. programs a year. Um, so we've, we've started that going. And then we also are, are being called on more and more to do some consultation around how do you show up as a volunteer and how do you grapple with some of the complexities of, hey, we wanna do good, we wanna give back and we don't want to um, disempower the communities that we're working with. How do we work alongside as partners instead of having kind of a transaction 
I'm over here with all the the yeah. money and resources and expertise, and you are there to to receive and say thank you. And so I think a, a big opportunity that I see for us is in that kind of training and technical assistance and education role as other organizations are standing up new programs, um, helping them with that approach and that education where how do we get to develop our community mm -hmm. together and maximize our, our resources, whether that's um, human capital or money um, together. And I think that's a conversation that more organizations are wanting to have and, and more funders are wanting to bring us in on. And then are you, being that it's your, it's a separate wing of, uh, of the organization. Are you funded at all by the main organization? Yeah. So it's a combination. And actually, I'm so lucky. I'm so grateful to Atlanta because we have a very high percentage of local funding. It kind of varies city to city. But I think in being one of the newer cities with repair, that's something that we've learned is there's got to be local buy-in. Um, that you don't want to enter a community where folks aren't excited to have you and, and willing to invest in you. And so I think um, Atlanta has been fantastic for that. Um, and yes, we do receive a lot of support in, and infrastructure from our national office, too. All right. Well, that's fantastic. Folks, if you didn't catch it yet, you can go to WeRepair.org uh, for more information about the organization, uh, what's going on with Atlanta, etc. And uh, Lily, is there anything that maybe you, we glanced over or you want to go back to that we maybe missed uh, that you wanted to share? Um, definitely want to highlight that serve the moment deadline coming up February 15th. If you are a young person, 18 to 29, or you know a young person and you want to do 10 hours of service with us for 10 weeks, we have so many great organizational partners, um, as I mentioned, in food justice and education and housing and homelessness. Um, and, and this program has really enabled us to expand within the Jewish community as well. So we're working with um, Jewish Home Life and um, with Blue Dove and uh, just a whole host of partners. So if folks are looking for that meaningful experience, um, now is the time to apply. And one of the stories I love about this program is that when we were initially pitching it, um, especially with that idea of connecting with seniors in our community, you know, people were really concerned about the isolation of seniors and we thought, right. oh, we'll connect them with young people and that'll be so great. And we <laughs> heard from our young folks that like, I was feeling really isolated. Like I was stuck at home. I wasn't expecting to be in Atlanta or I had to adjust to not having a job or working remotely and being in a cohort and learning and serving together as a cohort gave people so much purpose. And I think as we saw with like our great turnout yeah. for Martin Luther King Day, people are looking for a way to, to plug in and give back. So um, uh, also on, for those okay. parents and grandparents out there, if this is if this is your child or grandchild, we love getting those. Look pretty and share it to others in the Atlanta community and beyond. Uh, also, again, go to WeRepair.org. Uh, Lily, thanks so much for joining us today. I really enjoyed our conversation or our coffee connection, if you will. And uh, I look forward to seeing more of Repair uh, here in Atlanta or oh, well, there in Atlanta. And uh, before you go, though, I ask every one of my guests to recommend a future guest on Coffee Connections that is an innovator in the Atlanta nonprofit world. And is there someone that you would like to recommend? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. And I am um, really grateful for the platform to get the word out about what we do. Um, and I would like to recommend um, Ruth Abush-Madger and Jada Garrett from Bacola Shone. 
um, which is an organization dedicated to um, diversity within the Jewish community and sort of the, the multiracial and multi-ethnic nature of our um, rich community and, and letting people know more about that. And I'm sure they'll give you a better, more concise description of what they do, but I hope you can get a hold of them because they do really important work. And you did this just to tag on the difficult name because there was the other the other name you mentioned earlier. The you really want to see me have a tongue twister, don't you? <laughs> yes, that's that's how I chose. I chose the hardest name for you to pronounce with the most apostrophes. <laughs> All right, that's perfect. Well, thank you so much again. Go to WeRepair.org. Enjoy your uh, rest of your afternoon, and everyone, we'll see you back next week. Uh, so, thanks again from Coffee Connections. Thank you.